So uh, if you have never met me before, I'm John McDermott. I pastor Morningstar Church in Lawrence, Kansas. And um, I'm actually really glad to be here this morning with you all. I actually went to high school in Manhattan. My dad uh, was stationed at Fort Riley his last four years in the military. And during that time, I went to Lucky High School. And I sh did I say I graduated? I actually didn't graduate from high school. I got kicked out of my senior English class for being a clown and uh, wound up just saying, for, I'll just go get a GED. I got a GED, went to Fort Hayes State. Wow, go Tigers. No, I know, guy only lasted a semester there. I could see Buffalo out my dorm room window and I realized I don't think I am where I wanna be. So I transferred to KU and I went to KU only because my basketball coach in high school said you should go to the University of Kansas. And so that's where I went there. So anyway, but that's not why I went. Actually, I went because I couldn't, I knew that my life needed to change. And if I would have stayed here at K-State, it would have been high school plus, And I would have had the same results as I did in high school, not graduating. So anyway, uh, enough about me. What about you? And that's what we want to talk about this morning. We want to talk about an idea that has consequences, an idea that has consequences. You know, if you think about it, the world is shaped by ideas. Ideas are pretty powerful. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the world has been impacted greatly by some very uh, seemingly uh, innocuous ideas, but have become, were very detrimental. Uh, but there also has been some very powerful ideas. And I want to talk this morning about an idea that has incredible, powerful consequences. And how we respond to this idea determines, really, in many ways, the quality of your life. And, and, and indicative of this idea is, is uh, and why I find it important to talk about it, is because it's, it's fundamental to our Christian walk. And over the years, I've been pastoring for 25 years, been in ministry for 30 years, and one of the things that I can, I can tell you is that problems that people have in their life difficulties, and, and what I mean by we all have problems, but I'm talking about things that they can't seem to get past. They become almost uh, epidemic in their life, that they're, 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 they're this repeated thing in their life. Can invariably, in my opinion, can be, can be drawn back and, and, and be identified that there was something wrong in their foundation. There was something wrong in their fundamental understanding of life. And so this idea that I want to talk to us is basically this idea. What is the nature of humans? Uh, uh, often it's been quoted uh, or, or been said, what's the nature of man? Like what, what is man, what's, what's the instinctively what is man? What is the nature of humans? And uh, over the years uh, I have found that this idea could be answered in, in two primary ways, but I'm going to give us three. Two of them are very similar. There's just a little uh, difference, uh, subtle difference in them, but, but these, uh, there's two major responses to this, what is the nature of humans? Um, one is that man is born basically good. That man is uh, inherently good. They are born good, and they may make, they may make some mistakes. They may... Uh, falter, they may do something wrong, but that, that they are, when they do something wrong, they're acting uh, 
in disharmony with their nature, that they're born basically good, that man's born basically good. Now, a deviation of that, and more of a religious idea of this, is what we, we can say is man is born with an original sin. Uh, that, that man is born basically good, that their nature is bent towards being good, left alone, man will do good, uh, left to themselves, that man would be, or, or will do good, but because of what Adam and Eve did, Adam and Eve's sin, that everyone is born with an original sin, with they are, they already have a mark against them in their cosmic uh, account, that they are born with a sin, a, a, a dark spot on their soul. That their soul is basically good, but they have a sin that has been attributed to them because of what Adam and, did, Adam and Eve did in the garden. Now, this is, I was raised Catholic. And this is a, a, a teaching of Catholicism. That man is born basically good. And you can see some of the distinctions here that, will, that would have consequences. That man is born basically good, yet they have this dark they have this minus. They start in the negative in terms of their spiritual account. And that, that gives credence and, and the reasoning behind why in the Catholic Church that they are quick to baptize babies. Because it's baptizing the baby that they remove this original sin. So that a baby, if a baby dies within this understanding because they have a, a sin against them, that they aren't allowed to go to heaven. Where where they need that water baptism to remove that sin, that account, that negative account, from their soul. Now, those first two are, are generally the same. Man is ba- born basically good. But the third, the third or the second, so to speak, uh, answer to this question is that man is born with the nature to sin, with the sin nature. Because of what Adam and Eve did, we didn't just get a sin we, we inherited their nature. They fell. They fell in their, in their nature, and their nature became and had a fallen nature. That man is not born basically good, but that man is born with a nature bent towards sin. Case in point. Those of you who are parents or want to be parents... Want to be parents? I think we're all. I want. I'm. I'm a want to be parent. What's that? That means I want to be a parent. Uh, I want to be a good parent. Uh, want to be. I'm not really there yet, but I want to be. Want to be parent. Anyway, that's enough of that. <laughs> but if when you're a parent, or even if you have, you know, kids, you don't need kids. You know anybody that has kids. What you will realize quickly is that you do not need to teach children how to lie. Right? You never need to lie. All right, today we're going to teach you how to lie. No, what? They lie instinctively. What do you have to teach them? How to tell the truth. So that is kind of a case in point that we, that, that we are born because of what Adam and Eve did. And this is the idea that we want to unpack because the, our understanding of this fundamental biblical truth is that if we think that man now is born basically good, our response to a lot of things is going to be different than if we realize that man is born fallen, with a nature not bent towards good, but a nature bent towards sin. That man left alone is not righteous. 
Man left to themselves is unrighteous. Now, the biblical answer to this question, and this is what's so important, the biblical answer to this question, what is the nature of humans? The biblical answer to this question separates true Christianity from all other religions, theologies, and philosophies. Now, this, what I'm talking about this morning is really right out of the Key to Living One that we do, uh, which is so interesting. This is, Jonathan was a big part of writing this, and, and other pastors, myself included, within our network of churches. And uh, we wrote, wrote this again because we want people to have a foundation, a good, solid foundation. The Bible says, if a foundation is destroyed, what can the righteous do? Your life, in many ways, is going to be determined by the foundation that you lay. If it's a foundation laid in truth with the fundamental foundational teachings of, of the Bible, you're going to have an ability to succeed in life. But if you're faulty in one area of your foundation, no matter how well you build upon that, you run the risk of it imploding over time because of the pressure of life becomes so great. Your foundation isn't able to support it. So that's why this truth is so important. And that's why, you know, the biblical answer to this question really does separate true Christianity from all of the religions, all of the religions, theologies and philosophies, because because all other theologies, philosophies, and ideas all say that man is basically good and that through their own efforts, achievements, work, can in essence save themselves. True Christianity says on the contrary that man is hopelessly lost. That man has fallen. That man is incapable of doing good and needs a supernatural savior. Needs something transcendent. That man can't save himself. Man needs something outside of him to save him because man is not basically good and has a foundation in which to build on, but man is, is totally lost, hopeless. Now that's important. So... In essence, how we answer this question, this question of what's the nature of man, has great consequences on how we respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. How you respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, if you think you're basically good and the, and, and you, 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 the gospel of Jesus Christ is presented to you, then you'd be more apt to think of Jesus as kind of like a, a spare tire. You know, a spare tire, Right? It's good to know you have a spare tire. It's in there. But really, are you really wanting to ever use it? But it's good to know it's there if you need it. Well, if you feel like you're basically good, the gospel is like a spare tire. It's kind of like a security blanket. It's kind of something extra, as they say in the South, extra, that you don't really need, but it's good to know it's there. Like you're, you're going to live your life because you're basically good, but you know if you really blunder, you know you got a sweet Savior that'll just kind of like help you out in the jam. So, so how, the way we answer that question really does affect how we respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at that and how we now live. How do we live? 
See, if you're born basically good, you kind of think, you know, uh, you might need a little makeover. But if you realize that you're actually, truth is, is that you're, you're not basically good, that you are fallen, both in what you've done, not, not just from what you've done, how you think, what your understanding is. Oh, gosh, please don't tell us this, John. Yes, I am. How you feel. Oh, how you feel. Oh, no. You mean my feelings are true, right? No. Only if they're true. Are they true? I could feel, never mind, I won't go there. I'm going to be nice since it's the holiday season. But, and it also affects how we engage the world around us. And this is so powerful. I was just thinking about this during worship. If I feel like we're each born basically good and that we don't need something supernatural, savior, or transcendent, I'm, amazed, I'm, a, I'm able to evaluate other people and to judge other people, right? Because they're basically good and, you know, hey, I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm a good person. If I think I'm a good person and I've done something and I've achieved something, then I can look at somebody else and say, man, they haven't achieved anything. But if I realize, no, 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 we are all start out as fallen. We all are fallen. We're all hopelessly lost, and if it wasn't for Jesus Christ dying on the cross and making me right with Him, I would be lost. That I can look upon another person and I don't evaluate them based on what their deeds are because I know that they, without Jesus, are lost as I am without Jesus. It's powerful. This is how we live, how we engage the world. If we think that the world is a scary place because, you know, I might not be good if I go out there. Well, you're not good without Him, so go out there with Him. Turn to the neighbor and said, hey, you're lucky about that. Because I wouldn't hang out with you if that wasn't true. Now, I want to ask you, are you guys following me? It's like, did I just ruin the Utah carols and all of that already this morning? I know, that's my job. Afflict the, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. But um, the, the, the idea here is, you ever stop and think that the gospel's called, maybe you haven't, but listen, stop now and think about this. What makes the gospel good news? Good news. If you're basically good, is it really good news? You know, I was thinking about this, and I, I, I have nightmares about, about math class in, in college. I had to take calculus. I barely, you know, I didn't, barely do, I didn't do very well even in high school. I didn't even un- understand algebra, and I had to take calculus in college, and I, I passed. That's all I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you what grade I actually got in college. I'm just going to tell you I passed. But I started thinking, remember those, those math books in high school? You know, this huge math book, right? And then it's kind of divided up into two parts. You know, one is kind of a little bit of the instruction, and, and, but then at the back, what is it? It's like the answers, right? The, and, and to our misgiving, it was the odd answers, right? So, so this is the answers, right? These are the answers, what is all this? This is the problem. 
So, like, if you were to, to if you were to look at the answer, you know, a, a, of uh, in chapter, you know, exercise set five, number one, you know, and you you just kind of like, oh, x equals two, three, and five, woohoo, yeah, wow, wow, what a powerful answer, woohoo. No, you wouldn't do that, right? You wouldn't just turn to the answers and go, whoa, what great answers. When would you only appreciate the answers? When you understood what the problem was. See, we don't understand who Jesus really is, the answer, until we first understand what's the problem. See, if you think, you know, you really don't have that big of a problem, your response to Jesus Christ was big. Well, let me try it out, you know. Let me try to do that. Like joining a fraternity or a sorority, you know, or the whatever club they have anymore on campus. <laughs> you know, but if you understand what the problem is, you'll have a greater appreciation for, for the answer, the answer of Jesus Christ. All right, let me look. Let's just, let me just, let's just share just briefly a little bit of what the Bible says about this nature of man, the problem. In Genesis 6, verse 5 and 6, right after the fall, not too far after the fall, this is what God says. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of, um, of man was great on the earth. He did not say that man was great. He said that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. And that, this is interesting, and that every, listen to this, that every, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only, every thought only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Romans 3 Verse 9 says this, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Jews and Greeks, that's everyone, are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. None righteous. Now I know this, 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 this is like abrasive to our pride in, the, in our, you know, the, our idea of the dignity of man. But if this is the description of our fallen state, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, right? Not just that they didn't do, they don't understand even. There's none who understands. There's no one who seeks for God. No one who seeks for God. You know, I was thinking about this, how, you know, the term that you hear sometimes people say, and I've said it too, so, you know, it's like people say, man, I found God. I found Jesus. And you stop and think about it. You, you found Jesus? Well, wait. I don't think Jesus was lost. I think you were lost. Jesus found you. Because we're not, I remember, uh, I'll get to this in a moment, but, I'll go, let's go on. This goes on to say, there's none who seeks for God. 
All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. You know, when we think about that, it paints a pretty good understanding of what's the, what's the nature of man. And that, interesting, in light of celebrating the 500-year anniversary of Martin Luther nailing the starting of the Reformation by nailing the 95 Theses to the Wittenberg church door, 500 years, that at the heart of the Reformation was this truth about the nature of man, and that was, and that the, the phrase coined was total depravity. Look, we're not just, we're just not people that have done wrong. We're people by our nature who are wrong. And that we need something outside of ourselves to save us. Total depravity. But it goes on to say, though, in Ephesians 2, it says this, though. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is the, this is the call of the Reformation. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So the first consequence, an appropriate consequence of of having this idea that has consequence, embracing this idea that has consequence, the, the first consequence should be humility in us. A deep humility that says to us, by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. It's like humility. That there should be a deep humility in understanding that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. You know, not like when you, you know, Jesus wasn't looking like, oh, man, John Griffith, he's on the upswing, man. He's like a stock, you know, like stock offering. It's a small startup company that has great potential. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest in that. Okay, John, no. When you were at your worst, when you had no hope of potential, Christ died for you. While you were yet a sinner. That humility produces this, this, this security. This humility produces a faith in what Jesus Christ has done. When you look back and you think, oh, even becoming a Christian, even following Jesus, even exercising my faith to trust in Jesus, it's not an act of my will, it is an act of God's will. That God chose you. God pulled. I remember as if it was yesterday on the campus at K, KU, I'd gone to this... I had these circumstances of people presenting the gospel right up in my face. I wasn't searching for God. I didn't have much understanding, but the gospel was being presented there, and I got invited to this Bible study, this kind of campus meeting like you guys do on campus, on on a Wednesday night in the Kansas Union. And all day long, I was like, man, I am not going to that Christian meeting. There is no way I'm going to that meeting. I'm not going. No, I don't... Not no, that's not me. And I I left my duplex. I lived off campus. I went into this store and I was like, man, there's no way I'm going to that meeting. But I kept saying that. I kept saying that over and over. I'm not going to that meeting. <laughs> Looking back, I'm like fighting somebody. No, I'm not going to that meeting. 
And so I walk out of this, I walk up 27th and Iowa. I walk out of this store and, and an intersection and a bus that's going out to pick up and going to be headed right onto campus. I'm at the light and all of a sudden the light turns gr- from green, yellow, red, just like that. And the bus stops. And to this day, I don't know what happened, but I found myself getting on that bus. And I remember the bus driver looking at me and saying, Hey, buddy, you're lucky I'm a substitute bus driver because this is no bus stop and he would never let you on this bus. I'm like, sure, pal. But anyway, I wound up... (laughs) I didn't know what at the time, but I rode that bus up to campus, got off, went to that meeting, and God... Saved me. I didn't do anything. I mean, it's like God grabbed me by the nap of the neck and said, all right, you are so lost. You are so dumb. You're so deprived that you need a supernatural intervention. Now think about that. That's what God showed me. I was lost. I was not a nice person. I mean, Jonathan, every now and then, he'll meet people that knew me from high school in Manhattan. He goes, whoa, I got a whole nother couple stories about you. I was like, hey, man, put them in a book. For God be the glory. But this, this, this idea is like, whoa, wait, wait. This humility. You know, this humility. Man, God, Jesus Christ did it for me. I didn't do anything. Oh, I, I, oh. I, you get older, and you, I don't know if you get whatever, but you just pick up on things, and over time, you kind of like, oh, that, that irritates me. But like when I hear people say, I gave my life to the Lord, and they, but they don't say it like I gave my life to the Lord. They say, it's almost like there's like LeBron James, I'm taking my talents and abilities to Miami, you know. <laughs> I'm taking my talents and abilities to Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm giving him my life. I'm giving him my life. I mean, come on. The angels are going like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. That's a raw deal, Jesus. Whoa, wait. No, wait. Like, can we think through that again? That's, that's not a fair trade. Your life for his. Right? I mean, come on. But that's, what does that say? For God so loved the world. Whoa, 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 whoa. Not that the world deserved his love. Hey, it's about time you started appreciating us here. Love does, you should have loved us a long time ago. No, for God so loved the world. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Not when you were getting on the working it up. Wait, I'm getting some momentum here. I'm kind of like. <laughs> no humility. Why? Totally depraved. Have nothing to offer Jesus whatsoever. Why then? Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That, pre- that makes you appreciate the answer a whole lot more. It makes you want to glorify Jesus Christ and God. Wow, what a wonderful Savior. What a glorious, good God. 
Also, this humility produces in us something that I am particularly keen on as well, is that this humility causes us to understand that our guilt or any shame that we have should not be a result or based on what has, was done to us. You know, like a victim, like, like I'm going to be a victim and I'm going to leverage my victimhood for some kind of justification or I'm going to leverage my victimhood to justify my behavior. No. Not, you're, you do not get out of your guilt because of what has been done to you. You are guilty because of what you've done to others. The second thing that this should be, should be a... Uh, Second consequence of, of embracing this idea of the biblical view of the nature of man is gratitude. Right? Humility and gratitude. A, an immense gratitude. You know, this gratitude produces in us ability to forgive. Right? I mean, if anybody, in the, if anybody on the face of the planet should have... Very be, it should be very easy to forgive other people. It should be Christians. Because you should be understanding on your foundation. That's what it's like when I run into people and they're like, well, just, I'm not going to forgive that person. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, where's your foundation at? How are you going to hold unforgiveness towards someone else when you shouldn't realize how much you've been forgiven for? You've been forgiven for. Luke 7, verse 36. Let me just read this. Just think about this. This is a beautiful story. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. There's a lot to be said about that. What does a Pharisee kind of represent? Maybe somebody that thinks like they're basically good, and they just... They hear about Jesus, and they're going to add Jesus to his resume. Yeah, I had dinner with Jesus, as well as, you know, somebody else or, you know, somebody else. Something happens here, though. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. I love that. The Bible says there was a city who was a sinner. That means she was a well-known sinner. Like, you know, she was, she was not only morally a sinner like everybody else, she was, like, understood by the culture as being a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, 
He said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. You know, when we think about that, that, that gratitude, that gratitude that allows us to have, to know that we have been forgiven for so much, but that causes us to live with a, a thankfulness and to live with even a sense of freedom. You know, I think about this time of year and the temptation and the, the, the uh, common occurrence for people to get, get in anxiety or fear and just how this gratitude and sense of security and the, that idea that how much Jesus loves us by what he did and how much we love him and how, how it causes us this, this deep sense of, of having this ability to, to show gratitude towards other people. How this woman understood because she understood how big the problem was and what Jesus did about that. You know, the last consequence as I'm closing is acceptance. Now, one of the direct consequences is this idea that because your acceptance isn't based on your performance, because your acceptance with Jesus Christ is not based on your, your living towards a certain standard, and that when people join themselves together with that same framework, we, we begin to live out this enormous ability to accept one another. We have this enormous ability to not be so quick to evaluate other people, to judge people, but that we realize, man, we are all accepted because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, then we can accept one another and then we can live, listen, then we can live knowing that we can be accepted and we can be accepted for who we really are. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to fake it till we make it. We don't have to try to hide parts of our life. We can be fully transparent. You know, we can have relationships that are based in truth and honesty. That we, can, we don't have to worry about, you know, how if someone knows something about us, will they, not, will they not like us? Will they not care about us? Will they not? No, because this atmosphere of acceptance. Recently, a friend of mine, I was thinking about this, but a friend of mine, a couple weeks ago, on a Monday, because he knew, he knows that that's kind of my day that I don't have anything going on and, you know, I can kind of take it a little slower. He called me up about 8 o'clock. He goes, hey, 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 there's a new hot yoga place that opened up. 
You want to go to a hot yoga class at 9.30 this morning? And so I know when you look at me, you, you know, first glance, you think, oh, yeah, of course. That, he looks like he does yoga frequently. <laughs> I know, just kind of have that look about me. Uh, and so I thought, you know, what the heck, you know, it's just yoga, you know. It's hot. I do okay in the heat, you know. So, you know, I'll go. You know, what the heck. And, uh, you know, what, what's, what's the worst thing that can happen, you know. So I go, and it's in a, a, a little studio not too far from my house. And, and uh, th- that it has a big, huge wall of mirrors. And every, so you get in there, and you put your mat, and, and you, 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 you're staring at the mirror. And, and then so to my right is this woman, and she's already in there stretching. And then I put my mat, and then my buddies to my left and the other side of him is another woman. And so, you know, we were in there, and so she, the instructor's standing behind us, and she says, okay, let's start. And so they all know to start, and she goes, this is the child pose. We're on our knees, and our hands out in front of our heads, and our head down. She goes, this is the child pose. And so if you ever get tired, this is a good place to return back to. I was like, okay, that's good to know, you know. I'm probably not going to get that tired, you know, but hey, all right, it's good to know. So about 10 minutes into it, just to say, you know, she's like, okay, find your breath. And she's saying things. I have no idea what she's saying, but I'm looking, you know, in the mirror and to, next to me to see, oh, what are they, everybody else doing, you know? And so about, you know, 10 minutes into it, she goes, find your breath, find your breath. And I'm like, I can't find it. Where'd it go? I'm looking everywhere. I can't find it. I mean, I am huffing and puffing. And then she says, and I can catch this. She says, okay, look behind you and, and find the right, with your right hand, look back and find the right inside part of your ankle. I was like, I, I don't know if I know what anything is back there. You know, I, don't, I haven't seen anything back there for a few years. Uh, you know, like I'm going to need a GPS to find that, you know. So, so I do somewhat find it, and uh, I'm huffing and puffing, so I return to the child pose. I wanted to go back to what I would call the infant pose, which is being in the fetal position, crying, but I didn't. So I'm breathing. I mean, I'm like, whoo, sucking wind, and, you know, we go on. I'm, I'm getting up, and we're doing that, and I'm looking over. Man, what in the heck? And my buddy, he's like a junior pro, you know, at, at yoga. He's doing really good, and the woman and the two women in there are like, wow. I mean, I don't think my body would ever be able to do that, and so... You know, I keep going back and, and towards the end. So after the class was over, you know, they, they, were, they were all so, you know, oh, you did so good. We were so proud of you. We are so proud of you, how you did, you know. And we are so proud that you rested, you know, that you had the courage to rest. I go, oh, yeah, I got that resting down. I mean, I got a whole yoga class, I think, about resting. That's, well, I found out that my friend, he's a pretty been doing yoga for a long, and the other two women, they're like yoga instructors. So like the competition in there was pretty great and to compare myself with. But they were so sweet, you know, they were so nice about how like, oh, you did so good. And I thought, man, you're lying. But I started thinking about how, 
You know, in the church, many times when people maybe come or they're new, you know, and they see other people, they seem like they're doing so well, and, you know, like, and like, oh, that could be discouraging, but this idea that, no, we are all accepted in the Beloved because of our fundamental understanding that without Jesus Christ, all of us are toast. But through Jesus Christ, we have this gift of His grace to make us right with God, to cause us to grow. That we can, you know, that we all can encourage and support one another in knowing what Jesus Christ has done for us. And living us out in a way of, of, of lifting people up and being supportive of one another because of this enormous thing that Jesus Christ has done for us. That we understand the problem, which makes us appreciate the great, great solution we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your kindness, your great gift to us. Lord, I pray that you would mark our hearts with this understanding, that we wouldn't fall prey to pride, ingratitude, blaming. But Lord, we'd have a humility, a gratitude, and acceptance. Lord, marked in our hearts because we embrace the truth of what you say the history is of our life. Lord, we just thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.